All right. Well, good morning. Can you hear me on my own? Ah, yes. There we go. I can hear it now. <clears throat> it's, it is good to be here. Um, I mentioned my wife and Beth on that last song. If, if we'd had a banjo and a fiddle on that song, that would have made it much better. Yeah. Uh, back where I can tell where I'm from. Um, I am from uh, North Carolina. I grew up in eastern North Carolina. And, um, you know, it's just interesting. Uh, one of the things that was... Uh, I was thinking about, and I was mentioning to Jeff as uh, we were talking last night, is uh, I co-lead a, a home group with one of the elders, and, and he was really excited for me, and he said, you know, I just, I just love the fact that you can hear about God working on the other side of the world. We get so, like, local-centric, you know, we, we're so focused on where we are that we don't think about God working in other places. And he was just so excited. He's like, I'm excited for you to go. I'm praying for you. He said, most of all, I'm praying, you know, I'm excited to hear God's building his kingdom and the gospel's going forth in an area across the world. And I uh, just, just thinking about that, and as we're all singing, you know, those songs, you know, I don't hear any Aussie accents. I don't hear any American accents, right? We, if you, when people sing, they sing and the accents blend out. And so what a, what a testimony that's going to be when we get to heaven and we hear millions and millions of saints of all times praising the Lord. There won't be any accents. It'll be just a wonderful time. And one thing about me you need to know as, I, uh, as you're getting to know me, I guess, is that I do like camping. I do like fishing. I, I like um, hiking, those kind of things I like to do outdoor. I love going and experiencing God's creation. Um, man, we, we make some interesting stuff, um, buildings, but it doesn't compare to the glories of creation, even in its fallen state. Um, but I've always liked hiking. I've always liked um, camping, and I was part of a group called Boy Scouts of America when I was younger, and uh, it was a bunch of guys, mates, and we were just, we just hike and camp and just have a great time one of the things as Boy Scouts you can do is you have the opportunity to go to a place called Philmont Scout Range. It's in uh, New Mexico in the States, and it's the largest piece of privately owned land in the United States. It's over 189 square miles. Now, don't ask me about kilometers. I can't do the math on that right yet. But it's a huge piece of property. And all you do, you, you pack everything in your backpacks and you take it in. You take your food, you, you, uh, you take your utensils, your tent, everything comes with you. And you basically hike. And uh, you do it for about three weeks. Uh, we thought we were doing pretty good. We were at the 60, 60 mile mark. We met this, this group of explorers, these guys, and they're like, oh, we're at 120. And we were feeling pretty bad then. But we, uh, we're hiking around, we're eating, eating our freeze-dried food. You know, using our uh, water that comes out of solar-powered wells in which we have to put iodine tablets in it to purify it. And we're having a great time. But after about two and a half weeks, you, you start thinking about the food, right? That's, you know, if you've ever been without good food for a while, you start thinking about, you know, man, I'd love to have some pizza, you know. <laughs> I'd love to have some fish and chips, oh, a, a nice beefsteak, and I think the consensus after about two and a half weeks, a bunch of guys, we'd sit around a campfire eating our freeze-dried noodles and just be thinking, I can't wait till I get back into civilization. And we were just craving that big, thick, juicy beefsteak, you know, or lamb, I guess, in your case. You're just craving those things. And so we, we were just desiring. One guy was like, I want some Doritos. And we're like, Doritos? What? Give me a steak. Well, that's what we hungered for. That's what we longed for. It dominated our thoughts. What we're going to look at today, and the title of my message, is going to be A Hunger for God's Word. And we're going to be talking about what we hunger for, what we should crave as believers. 
And if you will, if you'll turn me with, with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Three verses, but just so much in these verses. It's one of my favorite passages, and I'm very excited to bring this, uh, this message to you today. I'd like to go ahead and um, open in prayer uh, before, we, before we dig into God's Word, if you will, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for this time that we could fellowship. I pray, Lord, uh, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear, to understand, and, and, and most of all, Lord, help us to obey. We love you, and uh, once, once again, I just thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that Peter challenges these believers here in this particular section is he challenges these believers to crave not physical nourishment, not that beefsteak that I was craving, or the guys, but he wants them to crave the pure milk of the Word of God that brings spiritual nourishment. And so the question for us, the question for you is, do you hunger for the Word of God? Is it more, is it, do you want it more than anything else? on a daily and weekly basis. Now, the book of 1 Peter, Peter is encouraging these believers. All right? They're undergoing persecution. One of the things you'll find as you read through 1 Peter is that they are facing different types of persecution. Now, this isn't the empire-wide persecution that you, you read about in church history. Right? This wasn't Diocletian, it wasn't Tiberius, where everybody was getting burned on the stake. This was more of a localized persecution, and it varied widely. In fact, in 1 Peter itself, in chapter 4, Peter says that some have died, and then others have faced mockings and being maligned, and just Gentiles being overall surprised at their behavior. So there's a varying degrees of persecution at this time. This was early on in the history of the church, but there still was opposition. So Peter's writing to encourage believers to have hope in the midst of a world that hates them. He wants them to have hope and to understand what their duty is as believers, to understand what their responsibilities are. And so in this particular section, he wants them to understand, and he actually commands them to crave, and we'll dig out, dig out that in just a second. But in Peter, you'll find the three Ps. You'll find persecution. You can read some about that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, where he says, persecution is God's will for you. That's a pretty, uh, pretty powerful thought. Painful trials mentions that in verse 6 of chapter 1 and chapter 4, 4 verse 12. It's part of a believer's life. We're going to go through trials. And then he says there's going to be purifying fires. And that's also chapter 1 and also chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. That's part of God's work in our lives. You have the three Ps in 1 Peter. You have persecution, painful trials, and purifying fires. So Peter's challenging these believers to have hope in the midst of an op- a world that is diametrically opposed to them. In fact, Peter calls them aliens and strangers in the world. So you're an alien. I'm st- I'm an I'm a, I'm a alien. I'm a stranger to Australia. Right? You guys are aliens, but we're all aliens and strangers in this world. So he challenges them, and he, he emphasizes the new birth. In chapter 1, he emphasizes the new birth. He talks about them being born again by the work of the Holy Spirit, through the sacrifice of the Son. He talks about their salvation. And then he brings us to a section that begins in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, 
And that continues finally to verse 3 of chapter 2. And basically he gives five imperatives or five commands. And I call those the the five keys to the Christian life. He he says, focus your hope on Jesus' return. He says, live holy lives, fear God, love the church. And finally, what we're going to talk about this morning is crave or hunger for God's word. Peter, Peter wants his readers, and he wants you, to put aside the hindrances to your growth And he wants you to crave the word of God. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 2, verse 1 with him. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So what do we want to look at today? We're going to look at the believer's manner of growth in verse 1, we're going to be looking at the believer's means of growth in verse 2. And finally, we're going to be looking at the believer's motivation for growth. Now, Peter begins and he says, well, let's look at the manner of, he says, putting aside is a choice. Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit, all deceit, excuse me, and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Putting aside is a choice. The idea here is ridding yourself. It's like if this coat was on fire, I'm going to get it off as quick as I can, Right? How many of you guys have ever been around, smelled, or involved with a septic tank? You know what it's, you know, I looked, Googled it. They have septic tanks in Australia. I made sure if I was going to ask this question. And we had one. We lived farther out in the country when I grew up outside of the city. We had a septic tank. You know when they get full, you have to bring in somebody and you have to pump it out. Well, my dad had me help him do that very thing when I was 10 years old. And I will tell you, it is the nastiest and stinkiest thing that I've ever done. Right? I'm telling you... I could not wait to get out of those clothes. In fact, my mom wouldn't let me in the house. She made me, she made me strip down to my skivvies and she took the, had my dad take the water hose and spray me off before she would let me come inside to take a shower. It was that stinky, just helping, helping my dad pump this thing out. Now, that's the, that's the idea here. Ridding myself of those clothes was the only thing I could think of. I wanted to take those things off as quick as possible because of the stinkiness, the, the how bad they stunk. Well, putting aside the behaviors of the flesh should be what you would want to do as quick as possible. Putting off that stink of the world. And now what he's talking about here, he's talking about things that that uh, hinder yourself, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but their, their sins, their behaviors, their attitudes, their speech that separate us as a body of Christ. Because the previous imperative, the previous command up in verse 22 says, For sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Right? See how these two, these two connect together. Right? If you're going to love each other from the heart and you're, and you're going to crave the Word of God to be able to grow, you have to put off those things that, what? Hinder your relationship, not only with each other, but hinder your relationship with the Lord. Right? There, there is an idea in Scripture of putting off and putting on. Right? There's an action. You know, there's this slogan I hear in church culture. I'm going to let go and let God. You know, we don't, we don't, just, we don't just passively involve ourselves in our sanctification. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about after you're a believer. Sanctification is an active process in which we put off those things that hinder our growth. We don't just lay back and say, God, help me to grow. Well, there's, there's action involved on our part. And part of this, what Peter's talking about here is we put off, we, we, we take out those, those things, the drastic action in our life. We get rid of that 
those actions, that speech, that mindset that hinders what the Word of God is going to be working in our lives. So we put aside as a choice, but look, he says your behavior can hinder your growth. He said you put, about, you put off those things, and you put off those things like malice. Malice is the opposite of what's virtuous. The Greeks had a word for virtuous, and malice was the opposite of that. Think of the most virtuous person that you know. Now think of what they would look like if they were the total opposite of that, right? Virtuous. So they have perverse intentions. They're, they're desiring to do evil. And then he says, put aside all deceit, treachery, willfulness. Uh, you can't trust that person. You've known those people in your life. You're always wondering what kind of scheme they're co- coming up with next. They're full of guile. You, you, you just have that v- veneer about them, that plasticness. And that gives us even more to another word, hypocrisy. Pretense, failure to practice what you preach. So these are the things, the qualities in your life you're putting off. You know, hypocrite's not, it's not where we want to be. Like, I, I can tell you I'm, I'm not where I want to be in the sense of I, I, I could pray more. I want to be more like Christ. It's not the gap. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is you know what to do and you don't do it. Right? Um, you, you use the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of personal vice. It's, it's a thea- theatrical religion. Right? You're pretending to be mature, and everybody may think you're mature, but inside you know what, what's really going on. It's ladies, you're wearing nice clothes, so everybody's, well, yes, she has the church clothes on, so she must be spiritual, right? It's the guys that are, that are two-faced, right? They're not in complete devotion to their wives. They act different when they go to work. It's that kind of attitude of, of hypocrisy, of falseness. You're putting those things away. You're resisting the desires of the flesh. Envy, it's, it's not jealousy. You know, there's a difference. You know, G, um, God speaks about how he jealously desired Israel's affections, and Israel committed adultery with idols. God, you're jealous about something that is yours, right? My wife gives her affections to somebody else. I am jealous of that. Envy is wanting something that's not yours. It's covetousness, right? Your mate gets a brand new car. You know, his grandfather left him some money, passed away, he gets a brand new, brand new car, gets him a sport ute, and he's riding around, and you're looking, and you're going, I'd love to have that car. And you're envious of that. But it goes even farther. Not only are you envious, but you begrudge him. And you begrudge his good fortune. Right? You begrudge what God's given him. That's envy. So you're putting those, that, those attitudes, those actions off. And then you're, you're putting off that slander. Slander is backbiting. It even is closely related to gossip. You're putting off those things. Right? You're, you're darkening. I read this somewhere and I wrote it down. You're darkening a person's virtues by attributing them evil to them, or attacking their very motives. Right? You're slandering a person. Oh, that person can't be that spiritual because they do this. Or they only do this because of this reason. Right? We, can't, we can't know the motives of a person's heart. Right? So we're putting off the things that are hindering our growth. Jesus says very similar in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you know, if you're offering an offering and you have something, if your brother has something to give you, leave that Gift and go be reconciled to your brother, right? You're, you're consistent. You're not going to allow those things to, to hinder your growth. I love this passage. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Some of you, it's just going to be a page flip. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. He's talking about husbands. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a feather, fellow heir 
of the grace of life, so that your prayers would what? Will not be hindered. Guys, if your relationship with your wife isn't right, it will hinder your prayers. God's not going to listen to you. Right? You're not loving your wife, respecting your wife, honoring her as a fellow heir, treating it in an understanding and loving way. Your prayers are hindered. Right? Our spiritual growth is affected by our behavior, guys and, and gals. We put off those attitudes, those actions, that speech that will what? That hurt the body of Christ. Right? This is when he says you and y'all, he's long for it. He, he's doing it in a corporate sense. Right? We, we live together as a, as a body. One of the things uh, I, was, I was preaching out of another section of Scripture uh, back at my home church, church about a month ago, and, uh, and the Lord just kind of gave me something that popped in my head, and I, I kind of had a, a, a kind of not an epiphany, but just more of a, a, just one of those thoughts that sticks in your head and you can't get it out. And, and I, I kind of asked the congregation, I said, you know, look around you. Everybody's looking around, you guys can look around. And I said, you know what, these are the people that you're going to spend all eternity with, right? All eternity, imagine that. And some of you are like, oh, wow, I wish that wasn't the case. I'm just kidding. You know, some of you are looking around, but you look around, these are the people you're going to spend eternity with. If they're fellow believers, we're going to be fellowshipping with each other forever and ever, right? You might as well get to know them now. You might as well be treating them right now, right? So the things that we do affect how we will grow. And that brings us down to not only the, the manner of growth, now we get the means of growth. Look at verse 2. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So he says, be like a newborn babe. Think about a newborn babe. Right? They're utterly dependent. Right? They, they don't know anything. They're, they're necessary. Right? You can ask Alex about newborn babes right in the back. He'll tell you all about it. Right? They crave that milk. They hunger. And think about it. One thing too, just as a side note, Peter is not making an evaluation of these believers. He's not saying that everyone in this church is a newborn babe. He's not taking the, tr- the, the track of the Apostle Paul when Apostle Paul dre- addressed the Corinthian church. And he says, I wanted to give you meat, but you're newborn babes and I couldn't give you anything but milk. Peter's not making an evaluation. He's just giving us an example. So he's saying we should be like newborn babes. We, we should... Be utterly dependent upon the Word of God. And then he says, look, we long for the pure milk of the Word. The word here for long is hunger, crave. That's the title of my sermon. Hunger, crave. It's an intense and reoccurring desire. And if you're a regenerate, if you're a believer, you should experience this longing for the Word of God. You don't want anything else and you can't handle anything else. You think about a newborn babe. You can't give them water, right? They want milk. I remember when my son was born, and this passage just come, came, became so alive to me. My son was born, and we'd be getting ready his bottle, and he could hear it, and if he saw it, it was over. If he saw it, if he didn't cry, he's focused on it. And, you know, he's just like, I, you know, he can hear it, he can kind of see it, you know, and he wants it. And that's all he wants. You want to baby, make a baby mad? Take his bottle away, right? Make it really mad? You know, you know, you mess with? I'm just kidding. You know, you, you take away a baby's bottle and you make it upset. Right? We, we give dummies to babies to pacify them, right? For a little while, hoping that you get time to give them a bottle, right? That's all they want. It's all they crave for. They hunger. They long for it. They're focused on it. And nothing else will do but that milk. Well, the Word of God is like that. Psalm 119 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 
you know, do you have this intense desire? If you don't have a desire for the Word of God, then the real question is, have you been born again? Right? Have you believed with your heart, confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you accepted Him as Savior? Have, have you, do you understand that you are incapable of salvation on your own? That you have no hope? Right? Do you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life on, on this earth? That He died on a cross for your sins? That the wrath of God was poured upon Him instead of you? Right? If, if you don't have that desire, then we need to evaluate. You need to evaluate yourself. Am I in the faith? Right? Am I a believer? If you are a believer and you like this hunger, I would just say, what about, what about, where's your heart? All right? Are there sins in your life? Unconfessed areas, those, those idols. So many times you, I've met people when I talk with people and, and they have idols in their hearts and they're not willing to give those things up. Right? And a lot of times the biggest idol is our own self and our pride. Right? We have kind of an attitude of, I can do it on my own. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need anything else. Right? The hindrances in our life will slow our growth and they quench your desire. There's an old thing I learned in, old saying I learned in Bible college, and I'm sure Jeff's heard this. It's, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Right? The Word of God is what we are to be craving, hungering for, longing for. Right? Peter actually goes even farther and he says, this is a command. The main verb here is long for the pure milk of the Word. This is a command. It's an imperative. So even when you don't feel like it, you need to do it. Right? You have to force yourself sometimes. There are times when, well, you know, I don't feel like reading the Word of God. You know what? I know I need it. I know it's best for me. I know it's what's going to help me to grow and I have to do it. I was teaching uh, youth the other day and uh, youth in our church and we had some college students come in and, and they gave some testimonies. And it was interesting because every one of those college students, and it was a Christian college, every one of those college students, all to a T, spoke on their, their personal quiet times with the Lord. And they, talk, they talked about how they, they get up in the mornings and they spend time with the Lord. Or at night, a couple of them did it at night. And they get up and, and, and one of them actually, it was a great example. He said, you know, I, I just started out with like five or six minutes. He said, you know, I wasn't used to doing it as a habit. I did five or six minutes. And then I realized that, you know what, I wanted more. I wanted more. And he said, over the next few weeks and months, he said, now, he said, I got up to 10 minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes. And he said, now it's like 30 minutes and I do some prayer time. And he's like, I just love my time with the Lord. And he developed that habit. It's personal spiritual disciplines, right? We, we need the Word of God. Right? We, we're to long for it like babies. We crave for it. And, and in case you, you think it's optional, Peter says it's a command. You long for the pure milk of the Word. All right, so you're to be like newborn babes. And then he says you need the Word. He says the Word is pure. All right? It's uncontaminated. You know, if you take contaminated milk and you give it to somebody, what do you get? You get sickness. Right? You can't drink contaminated milk. Right? The Word of God is pure. It's not combined with anything else. There's no philosophy. There's no human wisdom. The Word of God is what we need to grow. Right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-25, through he speaks about how he went among the Corinthians and they, they loved philosophy. They loved oratory. They loved rhetoric. In fact, Corinth, the Corinthians like to view themselves as little Athens. 
So they loved, and so philosophers would come into town and they would set up their soapbox and they, they would step up there and they would start proclaiming their philosophical bent and they would, they would get followers and the followers would support that person. Well, Paul says, you know what? When I went among you, I refused to do that. He said, I, I basically gave you the Word of God and the Word of God only. He said, you know, among you... Let me go back. Actually, let me just read it. All right? I'm trying to paraphrase it, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just read it. He says, I did not come to you... This is chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. I did not come to you, brethren, when... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 4, My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. What? but they were a demonstration of the Spirit and a power. You see, the, the Word of God is pure. It's not mixed with anything. We all came to faith through the preaching and proclamation of the Gospel. All right? It's uncontaminated. Paul even warns the Colossian church, don't, don't add things to the Word of God. You don't need the Word of God in philosophy. You don't need the Word of God in tradition. You don't need the Word of God in religious activity. You need the Word of God. Right? And the Word of God lasts forever. It can be trusted. And that's, Paul's, Paul, that's Peter's point here, First Peter chapter 1, verses 23-25. He says, he quotes, the word of God endures forever in verse 25. Verse 23, he says, it's living and enduring. It's the word of God that is pure. Now, in the NASB it says, um, crave the pure milk of the word. But the ESV actually translated a little more accurately to the Greek. The ESV says... Uh, Long for the pure spiritual milk. Now the NASB makes a, a, a interpretive translation decision right here, and it's not a it's not a wrong decision. They're right. They, the focus is on the Word of God, but the the Greek literally says the pure spiritual milk, and the milk being the Word of God. It just they they keep on going a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that because that is the focus. But the word there for spiritual is also means reasonable. We yield to the Word of God and it's reasonable because the Holy Spirit gives us understanding. Right? It's interesting when Paul was dealing with the Corinthians and the Corinthians had so many issues, he wanted them to understand that it was the Spirit of God that worked in their hearts and to not elevate individual public preachers. You know, even in Christianity, even in Christian circles, we, we tend to elevate preachers. And we say, well, I'm, I like MacArthur. In our circles, it's MacArthur or Piper or you guys had Steve Lawson over here recently. You know, I like those preachers and kind of line up behind them. I like Spurgeon. I like Calvin. And you go on and on. But Paul's like, it's not about the guy. It's about the Word of God. It's about the message preached. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, um, verse, uh, sorry, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by the Spirit, which, is, which things we also speak in words not taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What he's talking about is we have, we have received the Word of God, but we received them, and the Spirit of God has helped us to understand, helped us to know the things of God. right? And then this is kind of the key verse. You share the gospel. You ever share the gospel with people and they just don't get it, right? Or they come back, to, come back against you and they're like, that doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. What are you talking about? That's foolishness. Verse 14. 
But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Right? So it is the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. When Peter says, look, the, the pure spiritual milk, it is a spiritual exercise when the Holy Spirit illuminates your mind and gives you understanding so that you may know what the will of God is. Right? It's not a mystical thing. The will of God is revealed in His Word. Right? For walking with the Lord, we know what the, His will is. It's your sanctification. Right? First Thessalonians, First Peter says is it's to suffer as Christ suffered. So we have the Word of God that is pure, that is spiritual, that it's milk. The Word of God is an extension of God. It's active. How did God create all things? He spoke them into existence, right? It's the Word of God. It's active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. When you go to the Word of God, it gives you what? It gives you who God is. It gives you what He's done, right? It gives you His demands for your life. And it shows you a picture of who you really are. You know what truth is? You know the basic definition of truth? Truth is reality as God sees it. Right? In our world, people will say that, you know what? Homosexuality. People are born that way. Right? We know that's not true because the Word of God says it's not true. Right? They say that, well, everything involved, you know, it's a theory, right? Not a law. It's that everything involved over millions of years. But if there was death before the fall, then why do we need a Savior, right? Because sin brought death, right, if you follow the logic. So with truth is reality as God sees it. And we, get, we have God's truth. He reveals Himself and His Word, His demands, and our character and nature, who we are, through His Word, right? And just so we understand, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says, that Peter says, look, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the coming, sorry, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about the transfiguration, right? He says, Peter says, For we received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him in the holy mountain. So he's talking about transfiguration. Powerful event. Jesus saw a glimpse of the glory of Christ and it's made a mark on Him. But then listen to this. Verse 19. But we have the prophetic word more sure to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit who spoke from God. So the Word of God comes to us through the Spirit of God. Paul tells Timothy to preach the Word in season and out of season. Right? He also tells them that all Scripture is, is necessary. He tells us, in fact, when, uh, when you think about the role of an elder, and you think about the role of a pastor, and you think about teachers in general, you, you think about the fact that it's our, our job, or our responsibility is to, to, to proclaim the Word of God. Right? 
But one of the things that Paul says in Colossians, he says, we proclaim Him, talking about Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man and woman complete in Christ. So the goal of the Word of God, the goal of my preaching, the goal of the teaching of the elders, the goal of leadership is to present you complete in Christ. Complete means mature, like Christ. Often, people will quote Romans 8.28 to me. And I, I love Romans 8.28. And we know that God calls us all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, called, excuse me, called according to His purpose. But then they stop there. Look at verse 29, or listen to verse 29. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So if God's working all things for your good, right? We already know we go through trials, we go through fires, we go through persecution. What is the ultimate good? That you would look like Christ, right? That's why we're Christians, right? The world meant it as a sling. All those Christians, those little Christ running around. We gladly accept that mantle because that's our goal, maturity. Right? And it's the Word of God that transforms your mind. Do not be conformed to this Word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? There's a, a, an intellectual aspect to the reading of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit illuminates His Word. He searches your heart. He convicts your heart regarding the sin there. He draws that out. We confess it. So we have the manner of growth. We have the means of growth. And we're going to look at the motivation for growth. Look down, he says, if I can turn back to the page, he says, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Right? Growth, we should understand, and we should go to the Word of God, and we should long for it with the understanding that our motivation should be growth. Right? My son, I ask him from time to time, and he tells me, uh, I said, son, what, Arden, what do you want it to be when you grow up? And it depends on what day. You know, fireman. Uh, policeman, train operator, uh, was astronaut was the other day, you know. Um, it was interesting when he was a little bit younger. Have you guys, um, have you guys seen or heard the movie How to Train Your Dragon? You guys, it's, a, it's a kid's movie. It kinda, it, it's actually pretty, pretty good. Um, when he was about three, we popped this movie in, and there's a scene where the, the main character first gets the dragon under control, and, and he's flying in the clouds. And my son's sitting there, and, uh, and he's just like, oh. and he sucks in, and it's like a gasp, and he's like watching, his eyes are all big, and Beth looks at me, and Beth goes, chat, 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 and I look, and I'm, I'm like, you know what, for him, that's an option, right? When he grows up, that's what he wants to do. He wants to fly dragons. That's his goal, you know? Now, obviously, obviously he's gotten a little older by then, but, but just his expression, and you could just imagine his wheels turning his head going, I just have to get a dragon, and I have to get a saddle, and then I can fly him around, and you can just see those little wheels spinning, right? You know, guys, that should be a motivation for us. Our growth as believers should be a motivation enough, right? How many of you guys, when you were young, and I, when I mean really young, because... I'm not, going to, I'm not going to talk about age. But I mean, when you were, you were knee-high to a grasshopper, to use a good southern expression we have in the south, when you were knee-high to a grasshopper, when you were a really young child, what did you want to do? You always want to talk about what you wanted to do when you got older, right? When I grow up, when I get bigger, I want to do this. 
As a believer, that should be your, your thoughts as well. When I get older, I want to struggle less with sin. When I get older, I want to have my motivations be more pure. When I get older, I want to be more wise in the things I say and do. and I want to be more kind in how I treat my wife or my husband. Right? Our goal, the motivation alone, should be the growth. He said, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Now, we aren't saved by our works. Right? It's, not, it's not by what we do. What he's talking about here is we grow in our, our salvation in that we are saved from the penalty of sin. Right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer have to pay the wrath. Right? There's, there's no penalty. God's wrath isn't going to be poured upon you when you stand before Him. That wrath was poured upon Christ. Christ has took that upon Himself. So we, we've been, the, the wrath of God has been satisfied. There's no penalty for sin. Right? And as a believer, guess what? The power of sin is broken in your life. Through the Holy Spirit's work, Romans 8 talks about this, the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, you can have victory over sin. Right? We don't have to live in that same sin that so easily ensnares us. That's what Peter is talking about here. Put off those things. Right? But then ultimately, we will be saved from what? The very presence of sin. What a glorious day that's going to be. We're going to be in heaven. No longer have to worry about struggling with sin. How, how we treat people. You know, right? The, the thoughts of our, our hearts. Don't have to worry about those. Don't have to worry about our motivations. We'll be pure with the Lord. So the growth alone should be enough. Peter, uh, Paul says, excuse me, in Philippians 2, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work for His good pleasure. You see, there, there is a, there, there's not a, a, a synergy in salvation, but in sanctification there's an aspect where you're involved and the Lord's involved. Right? So I'll make sure I'm clear. Because the Catholics mix this up. They combine justification and sanctification. And they say you have to work with God to earn your salvation. You do good works and you get grace. And that is not a biblical idea. Justification is by God alone. You're declared righteous. Sanctification is where we work with the Lord. right? We submit to His will as He teaches us our duty from His Word. So, not only should our growth be our motivation, but He says this, and this I love this passage. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord... How many of you guys ever had Swiss chocolate? Swiss chocolate, right? Now, Aussie chocolate is really good. One thing about American chocolate, and I learned this from my Aussie friends because I'd never thought about it, is that in America, we do not regulate the cocoa content of chocolate, right? So you can have milk chocolate, and it can be varying degrees of chocolate, depending on what company it is. Australia, you guys regulate the content. And the Swiss are very particular. Now, I have a good buddy of mine. He's a pastor in Switzerland, and I see him at Shepherd's Conference every now and then. And, um, and I tell you, he walks up to me and he's like, hey, brother. And it's like one of those drug dealers. And he's like, and he's looking around and he's like, here you go. And he pulls out a couple bars of Swiss. He says, one for you, is one for your wife. Put them, keep them safe, keep it secret, you know. And I put it in my jacket and like walk away because, you know, there's those seminary guys and those, you know, those, those Aussie bogans that, you know, like Jeff, they'll just jump and grab it, you know, if not careful, you know. <laughs> so, so, but you ever tried Swiss chocolate? I mean, you know, once you once you try Swiss chocolate, I mean, it's like it's over. You know, how can I go back to a Hershey bar after that? I mean, you know, Mars bar. Oh, Swiss chocolate. If and, and that's that's Peter's that's Peter's point here. If you have tasted the kindness, the benevolence, the mercy, the song we just sung, the, the over and over, 
was talking about the mercies of God. The psalm we read was about the mercies of God. The benevolence, the loving kindness. Right? If you have tasted that, um, if you're an unbeliever, you, you can't taste God's mercy. Everything that is destined for you is wrath. But if you're a believer, we have tasted the blessings of God. If you flip over for you, some of you it's one page. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His, what? His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His great mercy. If you have tasted. You know, this is actually a quote from Psalm, an allusion, excuse me, to Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, verse 8, David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Once you've tasted fine chocolate, it's hard for anything else to compare. Once you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, you want to grow spiritually, right? When we think about what the Lord's done for us, in our home group we're teaching through Ephesians. When you get into Ephesians, the whole first section, this long sentence, is all one eulogy. You know what eulogy is? Eulogy is a blessing. You go to a funeral, you're giving a blessing. It's a eulogy, you're, you're blessing the person, you're talking about their life. One long section is it's a blessing. And it talks about the Father and His uh, choosing us before the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons. It talks about the Son's sacrifice and His redemption through, our, through His blood and the forgiveness of sins. And it talks about the Holy Spirit's work in salvation, how He sealed us, and how the Holy Spirit is a deposit for the future glories that await us. So when you think about what God has done for you, you can't help but want to respond in worship and obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, what? You will obey my commandments. Now this is Jesus' command to us this morning through the Apostle Peter is that we would long for the pure milk of the Word so that we would grow in salvation. We should hunger for it, crave it. You know, God created us for a relationship with Him. And that relationship goes on for all eternity. So why wouldn't we want to start now? Right? How do you know who God is? Right? How do you know who God is? He's revealed His character, His nature, and His Word. Right? Unbelievers can only know a glimpse of God, His invisible attributes. In fact, they see His invisible attributes, and Romans says they reject it. They suppress the truth and the righteousness. We can see, one of the reasons I love going into nature and going hiking is just the beauty of God's creation. And I can't help but sing, this is my Father's world when I see it. Or I can't help but just praise the Lord for His creation. When, I, when I'm looking around at trees and waterfalls, and there's these trees, by the way, in Southern California, in the sequoias, that they, they reckon they're a couple thousand years old. They're the largest life forms on earth. Now these trees, and not kidding, are, are probably as wide as from that seat to that seat. Um, early on, in order to blaze a trail, they cut a hole in one of them and cars would drive through. I mean, these are massive life forms, massive trees. And they only grow that one spot in the world because the way the water comes over the mountains and it waters them, it's protected. It's a national park. When I see those things, I think about God's glory and what He's created in the midst of diversity, right? But God has revealed His character. How do you know God loves you? The Bible tells you so. 
We, we teach our kids, Jesus loves me, this I know. Y'all learned that song in Australia? For the Bible tells me so, right? Teach my son, my daughter, right? Last time I was in Australia, I had an opportunity to um, preach at my, my buddy's church in Melbourne. I had a great time fellowship. And he asked me, we were getting ready to go. I preached and then I had a late flight that Sunday afternoon. He said, um, he said, what do you want to do? What's the last thing, you know, if you had something to do? And, and uh, I said, uh, you know what, let's go get some fish and chips. And Because uh, um, Aussies, you guys do your fish and chips like we do it in Eastern Carolina. In California, they put a lot of breading on it. It's all poofy, and it just you don't do fish that way, you know. And so I was like, I want some fish and chips. So we he he, uh, he started searching, and and I told him I said, look, it'll be my shout, you know, I'll take care of it. So he started searching faster, and uh, and he and he found he found a place, and we went there, and. Um, and uh, he, he moved heaven and earth, especially once he found out I was going to take care of it, to find a place, and we, we had some good fish and chips. And, we had, and honestly, I just wanted to go somewhere and just do some last-minute fellowshipping with him, and we had a good time. But I, when you want to do something, and you really want to, you will move heaven and earth to do it, right? Well, no matter what it costs you, you will make it happen, right? You want to go on holiday early, You'll work twice as hard the week before so you can leave a couple days early, right? You'll do whatever it takes to do what you want to do. Well, that's, that's a hunger. That's a desire. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Hunger and desire and longing for the pure milk of the Word so that we may grow in salvation. Like today we've examined this passage and we looked at the manner of growth, we looked at the believer's means of growth, and we looked at the motivation for growth. We've been challenged by Peter to put aside the hindrances to our spiritual growth and crave the Word of God. The, the real question for you guys and I, is, do you discipline yourself for godliness? You know, one of the things that we all do, or a lot of us, we go to the gym, right? We work out, right? We bear muscle shirts to show off our muscles. Some of, that, some of those muscles aren't as big anymore as we get older, right? We, we, we go to the gym, right? We, we discipline ourselves for physical discipline. We eat well. Right? I, want to, I want to take care of my body. I've heard people say that. And there's nothing wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. You want to take care of your body. It's, right? You want to live long enough to, to glorify God and everything He wants to use you for. But do we discipline ourselves for, the, for spiritual growth? Right? Spiritual disciplines. Do we, do we work out our minds and spend time in the Word? Do we have a quiet time? Do we neglect God's people? Right? You know, preaching is not the topping on the worship service, right? Preaching, we don't worship. When we talk about worship, we talk about singing and they're leading us in worship and then we get to the Word of God and it's kind of extra. The, the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, the proclamation of the Word of God is the central aspect to our fellowship time, right? It's the focus. Everything leads to the preaching. It's where we get to hear what God has for us and we respond, right? Are you neglecting the believers, I would encourage you guys, um, I have some of the best fellowship with people in my church when I go to home Bible studies. I mean, you get to talk about people's lives. I mean, I can't talk about your lives here with you, right? Right? There's so many of you, I can't talk about it. Sorry, I'm trying to fix this real quick. But when you go to home Bible studies, you not only can you talk about the Word, you can discuss things, we pray for each other, right? So I would encourage each one of you, not only to be involved individually, but be involved corporately. Spend time in the Word of God. 
First John, John says in First John, for, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have tasted God's kindness, crave the pure milk of the Word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we, we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. Father, we, we hear Your command that we should crave, we should long, we should hunger for Your Word because it is the means by which we grow. Lord, we, I pray that You would use Your Word in the lives of these believers. That this church would be known as a Bible-believing church. We know, Lord, we're in a minority in this world, of people who, who hold the Bible in high regard. Lord, I pray that our actions would go along with that statement. That if we say we, we believe the Bible, and we say we, we hold it in high esteem, that it would penetrate our hearts and penetrate our lives, that we would discipline ourselves to spend time with you in the Word of God so that we may grow in respect to salvation. Help us to be more like you. Search our hearts. Show us the secret areas in our hearts that we're reserving from you, the sins that we don't want to get rid of, the pride, the selfishness, the love of this world, our self-justification. Break that down. Lord, humble us so we may be a people that looks like you, that when the world sees us, they see little Christians. And we would not be ashamed of that title, but embrace it. Father, we thank you for this time, and we love you, and we just praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.